intrinsic motivation coupled with the notion of ambition is two characteristics that any self-respecting self-starter has to have if they want to accelerate and initiate a faster path towards prosperity. It goes without saying, of course, that a concrete plan of action is also the third leg to this discussion in order to have any legitimate staying power. To provide some statistical levity to our discussion, I want to bring you some news and notes from my friends at Junior Achievement USA, who conducted a survey all about the ambition and willingness of young people who want to be entrepreneurs as their full-time career. The survey found that 60% of today's teens are more interested in starting their own business someday rather than working for a traditional boss in a traditional 9-to-5 scenario. The survey was conducted online by Wakefield Research of more than a thousand teens. The survey concluded that nearly two in five teens get their inspiration for entrepreneurship thanks to their social media channels or celebrities. At one point or another, my friend Carson Spitsky has found himself in this exact situation. He's the founder of Spitz Solutions, which utilizes a mixture of both public relations and growth marketing to drive new leads and convert them into sales and clients more efficiently. The strategies he employs are unorthodox yet effective and they include providing value to journalists and top clients specifically allowing them to express their creativity and sense for entrepreneurial adventure more freely. And by the way, Spinsky was a Amazon best-selling author by the time he was 21. He is a remarkable story of resilience and determination. It's one in which I'm happy to share with all of you right now. So without further delay, I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. moment, buddy, to welcome you to the program, and I'm super excited to learn about how you have a cr- 
created uh, such entrepreneurial uh, success at such a young age and how you help others do the same in terms of finding their own level of prosperity. Great to see you this afternoon, my friend, and thank you uh, so very much for being here. Yeah, no, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Absolutely, Carson, and I know that uh, you're all about the growth mindset and helping uh, journalists and others specifically grow uh, their messages through thinking about their growth mindset, and I know you've uh, experienced some uh, success at a young age, my friend, so I'm wondering if you can tell me all about your story and what makes you so fabulous, my friend. Yeah, for sure. I'm the founder of Spit Solutions, right? Spit Solutions, we do a lot of growth marketing for our clients and for ourselves, but at the end of the day, like the main services in which we incorporate is public relations. From a business owner side, at the end of the day, what most business owners want is to kind of be perceived as, like say you're the apple of the world and say you just launched a new phone. If you launch that new phone, you want to be kind of recognized as the Apple or given the exact same chance to compete as Apple has compared to like that normal phone, right? And what we do, at least on our end, is we work pretty heavily with journalists. It's more so journalists saying, hey, I need to talk on like this topic or this thing. I need quotes for this or I need to feature someone for this. And us mainly just having the right contact for them. Obviously, there's a few services, more than happy to get into that. But for my journey specifically, I graduated at around 17. I don't know if it was 16 or 17 when I actually graduated, to be transparent, because it was online school. Uh, From there, I played hockey, and I didn't really know what I wanted my path to shape up or shape out into. And all I knew is that, well... I can't work in school. I can't work when a teacher's talking, so I'm probably not going to be a good employee, so I have to figure out something. And when I started figuring out, oh, what should I do? I figured, well, I'm not going to go to uni. I do need some form of skills. So I ended up buying a bunch of courses and a bunch of programs. And I got to thinking when I was like starting up my business, well, why did I buy those programs? And I kind of figured, well, the content from that business owner was what attracted me to get on the call. But the press and the third-party validation was what pushed me over the edge and actually made me buy. So I figured, well, I'm not the dumbest person in the world. If I'm buying off of this, maybe others will you know, want to do the same thing. And really, that's all we really do for our clients, helping them with their perception, their exposure, their credibility at the end of the day so that they can get more sales, clients, build a personal brand. Yeah, and what do you think goes into building perception for the clients you work with, because, you know, building a uh, positive perception is different from uh, for, the, for all the clients you work with, but I'm sure there are some uh, core fundamental principles that you follow, so I'm wondering if you could uh, share those with me, Bonnie. Yeah, as far as perception goes, it just depends on the level at the end of the day. From when we work with more small to medium-sized businesses, the one thing that we want to look at and that we want to control is what pops up when someone Googles them. Like, for example, if I'm going to search up, like you, for example, Kevin McShawn, like, you are going to find, obviously, like, 
your website, LinkedIn, various socials, and then obviously you do have various articles on yourself as well, versus if you're going to compare it to someone who hasn't really spent out the time to build their personal brand, they are going to have less real estate and that's going to you know decrease trust, right? Because everyone's going to have LinkedIn, Facebook, even YouTube to some extent nowadays, but really you need those social signals to one, prove your legitimacy, two, prove that other people know, like, and trust you. And three, if you have content that resonates with them, like Kevin, you have a pretty powerful story, right? If your story or what you're saying resonates with people, it takes them through to that next point. So really, that's one of the main things we try and engineer with our client base, just to ensure that they're more likely to, you know, grow their business or grow their personal brand. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Carson, I, uh, I know that you did some research on me, Bonnie, and, you know, find out that I graduated uh, journalism school, so I respect the work that you do and sort of getting the messages of jur- journalists out specifically. So when you work with journalists specifically, my friend, I'm, I'm curious, how do you help them become unsaturated and really work, work on sort of delivering their own unique me- uh, messages? Because each individual a journalist is different, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And most of the time when we're like collaborating, when we're bringing um, material for a journalist so they can meet a deadline or so they can write a valuable story, most of the time what really we're really looking to do with them is kind of amplify and help them tell the best story possible by presenting the best person possible. How we do this is kind of just how we get in contact with them in the first place. Relationships do help, but what we resort to a lot of the time is reaching out like just to journalists in the first place. One thing we look at rather heavily is various keywords. So like, for example, uh, Kevin, if you were to speak on like diversity, I might bring forward or introduce you to a diversity expert who could potentially collaborate on a story with you on say, for example, um, how Canadian organizations can promote diversity, for example. But at the end of the day, we use that where we're making sure that we're bringing them only the most relevant and only the most credible individuals that we work with. And the second thing, too, is a lot of journalists, from what I've seen, they do use services like Help a Reporter Out or Quoted or other places like that. And all we really look to do with that is basically provide them as much insightful content as quickly and as relevant as possible. One thing that we're seeing in today's day and age is the use of like ChatGPT or AI tools to give AI generated responses or AI emails, right? And obviously you and other journalists can see through it. Hell, you might blacklist the person who decides to send that, but really we do use AI. All we really use AI for is to determine if the topic that you're sending out to a quoted or to help a reporter out is something that actually matches up with one of our clients expertise so then we can actually you know manually write a proper pitch or give the proper insight so you guys can write your story to the best of your abilities yeah and with, with so much of journalism uh, uh turning digital now question i'm curious to get your thoughts on uh, the advantages of AI and really how you can use it as a champion of uh, change when marketing a journalist. 
Yeah. And I actually interviewed um, an AI expert on this a while back, Dennis Yu, actually last night. What he said, and I completely agree with his views, is we were talking about how like service-based businesses or businesses in general can incorporate AI. And the one thing he said was AI is never going to replace something that you haven't done before. And what he meant by that and what I'm going to parrot, what I mean by that too is you need an ironed out system. You need an ironed out process in order to actually be able to delegate it, automate it, and then use AI within the process. The way I view AI personally, I view it as the smartest drunk person in a bar, right? They're the most, they're the smartest person there, but they can't really follow instructions because they're blacked out, right? They, they can't handle their alcohol, right? And how we look at it with that is if you have a dialed-in process, a dialed-in system, you do want to see, okay, is a human doing this data entry thing? Oh, it is. Okay. How can I use ChatGPT or AI or tools like Zapier to integrate and pull that data so maybe I can do it a little bit quicker or do that task hands-off or just get ideas so that I can do that task in a more efficient way? AI is never going to be 100% of a business or 100% of the process. But from what we've seen, you can use it in bits and pieces and you can build out processes surrounded by AI. One example specifically for journalism that we have seen do well is using it just for topic outlines, right? So we do a lot of editorials, content where we can just kind of write it as is, as long as it meets guidelines. And one thing that our team uses is we just use AI to build out an outline so we know what topics we should cover based on our goals for the article so that we can hit you know, our goals and publications goals. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Carson, as an old sports reporter, uh, my friend, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you if your athletic background uh, helps you uh, complete the work that you do today. And how much of that competitive spirit sort of influences what you currently do, my friend? Yeah, I would say, like, the biggest thing I've noticed from, I played hockey, I played, I, I wasn't that good. The only person that you might have known or heard of that I played hockey against was Connor Bedard. That's how young I am. But um, one thing that I noticed playing hockey are two things, really. It's the mindset capabilities, because I have gone through a ton of mindset training and self-talk, goal setting, like kind of approaching your mental state, reflection, uh, watching film, stuff like that. Those have all helped me create the mental state where I really believe I can do anything. And in all reality, if you build out a plan, and you have the tools and the assets, can you do anything? 100%. The other thing I look at, too, from my sports background playing hockey, the teamwork aspect, that's there, of course. That's kind of a given. But the one thing I look at, too, is the work ethic, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, for someone like myself building a business, I do have to grind it out day in, day out, until I'm able to kind of delegate that portion or delegate the section to team members and build out processes. But I am ultimately the one that controls the ship, so I need to be the one that has the most work ethic, wants to do anything it takes to grow the business, similar to how, for example, I would want to block an 80 mile per hour, 90 mile per hour slap shot, or do anything it takes to get better in my hockey career. Yeah, absolutely. You know, out of uh, personal curiosity, 
Carson, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. So there, there's a publication you might have heard of called Junior Achievers uh, at USA, and they recently did a study in March that found that 60% of teens and young adults between the ages of 13 and, and 17, and they also uh, incorporated young adults your age into the study, and I found that 60% of uh, young people would rather start their own business and be their own boss as opposed to taking direction from a uh, traditional uh, sort of sort of nine to five arrangement. So I'm curious, how do you think? Uh, first of all, I'm curious to th get your thoughts on what you think of that particular survey. And whether you think this is the wave of the future on getting more young people interested in entrepreneurship. Yeah, I'm a big belief that cause and effect is something to be noticed and to be studied. I believe the cause of what you're saying, like the effects are people who don't necessarily want to work for others, they want to be their own boss. I believe the cause of that is twofold. First off, in from what I've seen as far as content, there is a lot of glorified like coaching programs or entrepreneur programs where they glorify the whole work from anywhere or you need to make 10K a month or something like that, right? And when you see that content day in, day out, you kind of realize, well, why should I work 40, 50 hours, 5K per month when I can do the exact same thing, just do it as a business and make more money, right? Ultimately, do I think that everyone could or should become a business owner? No, I really don't think like 99% of people aren't really cut out for it. And most of them are better off building out the skills and building out um, kind of a landing point so that if they want to start a business, they have a lot wider range of failure. Or if you're going to start a business, start it like get mentors and then kind of figure out what they're doing and then use your mentor's skills to gain your own skills so that you can deliver serviceable results. The other component, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting the other component I had here. Can you re-ask the question for me? Yeah, I was just curious to ask you about sort of the shift in young people wanting to be their own bosses. That was uh, uh, the portion of our discussion. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the other aspect that I think isn't really talked about enough is kind of the increasing gap between the haves and the have-nots or the top 10% of society and the bottom 90%, right? And I'm a personal believer of the fact that college has gotten exponentially more expensive. Housing has gotten exponentially more expensive. The cost of living has gone way up where people feel the need to, well, if I want to live an okay lifestyle and even take like one or two vacations a year, I am going to have to up my wage. And with university not really providing the same ROI as it has been over the last 20, 30 years, and given the fact of remote work, remote living as well, like I could be filming this podcast if I wanted to in Japan or in Colombia or Dominican Republic or Russia if I really wanted to. And there's also the combination of the fact of the matter is that people just want more. Social media has led people to think, oh, everyone's doing so well. I need to do well as well. And I think people, will they have the work ethic and the skills necessary to hit that point? 
to become a successful entrepreneur CEO? No, they definitely won't, right? Just because most people don't have the driver work ethic and they don't understand how to problem solve. But at the end of the day, I do think it's a societal reflection. And I always view it as a pendulum swinging where maybe we're overreacting to the point where a lot of people want to become entrepreneurs. And I think in five or 10 years, it will swing back in some way, shape or form. Because one thing you see right now is you see a lot of blue collar jobs where people are making 100K, 200K, 300K, just working as a solopreneur, no business, no online business, right? You, I'm going to imagine there's going to be a big shift to things like that or skilled labor as well, because those are sustainable, predictable, and ultimately easy to accomplish in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, there's a certain level of, commitment that you have to uh, have to work for yourself and you know there's a certain level of passion that you have to have and i know that you were a published author by the time you're uh, by the time you were 21 so tell me about the certain level of commitment and uh, where your personal drive comes from my friend because having that personal level of commitment is important for, for success isn't it yeah, and I, I have a couple different sources. I view it, you need multiple sources, but you need to have kind of, you can swap between them personally from a mindset perspective. Uh, first one I have is kind of fear-driven. If the fact is I can't protect myself or the people I love from any type of impending doom. Like, for example, when I was a bit younger, I used to think, oh, climate change is going to destroy us or something like that. I figured, well, I need to get to the point where I have the resources to do anything in my power to be able to protect myself or the ones I love to make sure that I can, you know, continue living for as long as I want or as much as I can. The other aspect I look at it as well is from the environment I have been brought up in, I view it as a waste if I don't push myself day in, day out to becoming the best person and the best entrepreneur as possible. Money keeps score, of course, and I'm not going to pretend I'm not driven by money because I'm pretty sure everyone on this planet, for the most part, is to some extent. But what I believe is you have to become a well-rounded person. You have to be a person worthy of making, I don't know, for example, seven figures, eight figures, nine figures, 10 figures, 11 figures, six figures, 99% of the time. Whether that's by skills, whether that's how you act as a person, whether that's your mindset, everything plays a part into that and obviously the only exception with that being the opportunity cost right if you get into an amazing opportunity like for example crypto people all they did was they threw in a couple hundred couple thousand ten thousand dollars into an asset and they watched it exponentially multiply they didn't develop as people they didn't go through any work they didn't do anything to become better people so now you have a generation of people who may have a ton of money but there's still like people who may live in their parents' basements, even if they are wealthy, for example. Yeah, and Carson, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on what it really means to embrace the growth mindset, my friend. And why do you think you've been so successful at a young age yourself? Yeah, I would say embracing the growth mindset it just comes down to your goals and working out what you need to get to those goals. 
I have pretty lofty goals for myself because I know my skill set. I know what I've done at a young age. I know what I can continue to grow and develop upon that. I believe like the growth mindset, it really just means to bettering yourself every day, day in, day out. One common thing that I like to look at, I would rather look at the inputs rather than the outputs. The outputs are kind of the amplification effect on how efficient you are, how well things are performing. But the input effect, say it's just getting through your daily tasks list, right? Or say, for example, if I've seen people sign three new clients and they don't do any work for three days because, oh, well, I signed a couple of clients. That mindset where if you continue, like you pause because you had success, that only catches up to your future self. And um, what was um, what was the second part? I swear it's in the notes. What was the second part of that? Yeah, I, I was just asking you about how you achieve success at a young age, age and what you think your personal uh, secrets to success are, my friend. Yeah, I think I do have some unfair advantages that people cannot emulate, and I'll go through the ones that anyone can emulate. The first one I think anyone can emulate is like the time I've put in for like work and learning skills and everything else. Like I would say. I work, quote-unquote, 12 hours a day. And that doesn't mean I'm at my desk, like, typing away my computer for eight hours. But, for example, I'm listening to various podcasts, trying to better my skill sets. Or I'm analyzing, like, sales calls, for example. Or I'm texting clients or something like that. So, really, I have devoted my life to getting better at various skill sets so I can level up and ultimately get um, better performance. I think some unnatural abilities I have is how I process things. I can think really coherently, extremely clearly when I'm given a situation. And while I may not know the right solution, I'm able to identify five or ten of the best possible solutions and then test and measure which of those solutions is actually working on a long enough time horizon to outpace anyone competing against me. Yeah, and you know... Uh... Carson, I'm curious to ask you about creating what I call sustainable victories in business. And what I mean by that is, what do you think, uh, if I'm asking you to create a, a sort of a blueprint for uh, achieving victory in business, how do you think people should look at today's business and succeeding in entrepreneurship? Yeah, there's two different stages, in my opinion, people who are like established, successful and people that kind of like, you know, figuring things out, becoming more established from the established side. I would say it's determining like fit or service market fit, product market fit. If you have something, if you have a product, if you have service where it attracts people to you or one customer can turn into three customers, I would say that's something that's scalable. It shouldn't take you that long to get your first client, assuming you're putting in the inputs necessary. And off of that, once you have a maxed out client load for yourself, you can then just document your processes higher and continue growing your business, right? For more established businesses, what I believe like the shift is at the end of the day, I think once you're established, you have to recognize opportunity cost in a sense. One thing we used to do very heavily within our business is we would cold email like business owners to attempt to win their business. But what we're seeing now is with the rise of cold email, phone calls, things like that, 
it is exponentially harder to break through the noise. People have less trust, less likely to buy off of an email they received. And now what we look at is we look at the opportunity cost and we identified, okay, what are people, what, what makes someone buy? Referrals, relationships, trust, right? How can we engineer that to the point where we can, you know, reach out to as many people as we want or need to earn their trust, maybe earn referrals off of them, but make them feel like we've already delivered three to six months of amazing work so that they're more likely to trust us to eventually work with us and collaborate on services together. But at the end of the day, I really just think it's recognizing where the ecosystem is trending and executing on your vision, right? Anyone can have an outcome, a goal, or anything like that. It takes, it really takes like a special kind of person to establish that goal and then to enact on it, to build out a plan, to follow that plan, and to keep it as realistic as possible so that you can hit that goal as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, Carson, I truly believe that relationships are really the heartbeat of sort of success in life and in business. So um, one thing I am constantly wanting to do is formulate relationships with people that I uh, can and move my own needle of progress forward, but also to hopefully learn new information from people that I don't necessarily associate with. So tell me about the importance of both relationship building and allyship and really embracing the perspective of people that you may not come across on a regular basis. Sure. I think there's two ways to go about it. The first one is getting like mentors for no cost. The second one is just paying for mentors. The second version paying for mentors may be a bit of an unpopular opinion, but I would much rather pay for someone's time, whether it be one-on-one -on -one time, group coaching time, so that I can learn or have them consult me or better my processes, way of thinking or skill set. Because here's the thing, there is a lot of free content online. And for the most part, 99% of that content is absolute junk, right? Sure, you can learn how to do it yourself and off of that content. And then you still have to go through the trials and testing phases to optimize it. Or you can pay someone directly to have them implement the systems, processes, skill sets, mindsets they have into your business, into your life right away. That's one thing I think is pretty critical. The second thing, like if you're starting out or if you want more of like a valuable type of mentorship where it's kind of overarching, is like gaining favor from high value people, right? And the easiest way I've seen to do this is to deliver as much value as possible. And I've listened to a few people like Alex Hormozzi or Mark Cuban or people like that who get hit up dozens of times per day with people who want to do free work for them. Now, you can approach someone if they're on a certain scale and say, hey, can I make a free video for you? And they might say, sure, right? But you're not going to get in front of like the people you really want to get in front of. And, and I'm, I'm going a bit um, overarching by naming billionaires, right? But for this example, if you truly want to get in front of someone, 
you want to be of so much value to them where they don't have to monitor you. You're providing a ton of actual benefits to them and that makes them more likely to trust in you and want to work with you. One example I'll use, like Alex Hormozzi, he actually said that quote that I said before where if someone reaches out to me for a video editing service and they say, hey, can I make you a free video? He's not going to reply. He gets 50 of those a day, right? Versus someone who's re-editing his clips, reformatting his podcast videos, doing it for free, and growing out kind of the views, the channels already like for free. Yeah, it is free work, right? But if you want to get in front of someone that's doing nine figures, 10 figures a year, you're going to have to do things that go above and beyond what any reasonable person is wanting to do. And obviously you want to make sure if you're picking a right mentor that you're finding someone that can actually, you know, benefit you at the end of the day. Someone like Alex Ramazzi and Mark Cuban, they may not be the right people for your industry or for your niche or where you're at as far as your business goes, but you can definitely find people kind of at your level or the industry leaders that can take you under their wing and are more than willing to do it for free if you can provide value to them. One way we've done this is we have reached out to people through cold email and just offered free work for something that they might find valuable. Like one of the mentors that I ended up working with and that delivered a ton of value to me and helped me out a ton, uh, his name is Alex Berman. I saw him give a bunch of advice on a topic I wanted to learn. I reached out, he was launching a new project. I reached out, hey, if we could publicize a project for free, would you mentor me for a little bit or help me learn the skill? He said yes, I delivered outstanding work and we still keep in touch to this day. Uh, yeah, it's all about keeping the conversation going, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And Carson, I, I'm wondering your thoughts on where uh, your internal motivation, your internal motivation for success comes from, and uh, your thoughts on the theory of knowing your value in business. What are your thoughts there? Hmm. Knowing your value, I think knowing your value is knowing it's kind of both levels. Knowing your value is knowing maybe you shouldn't be like working with someone that actually wouldn't benefit from your services in the first place. One thing I might say is, can anyone benefit from public relations? Sure. Can anyone pay to get an actual tangible return on investment out of public relations? No. At the end of the day, they shouldn't. From what I view knowing your value it's knowing what you should be doing, how you should be operating for people of all spectrums, of all scopes, so that you can benefit them as much as possible. But at the same time, protect your time, protect your efficiency, because time is a limited asset at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Carson, if I gave you a budget to create a billboard on a highway about your life, my friend, what do you think you would want the billboard to read and what sort of mess, message would you want for other people to see? Yeah, I think it's a pretty um, cliche mindset or a pretty cliche message, but if I had um, a billboard on my life, I would just say keep pushing through because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter your results. If you keep pushing through and analyzing the data, 
you can certainly get to your goals. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just going back very quickly to a mentor through cold email, and I know you said uh, adding value to uh, their brand specifically is how we get mentors through a cold email, but how do you think we continue that conversation with mentors once we get them? Yeah, once you get them, the biggest thing I've seen is keep them updated, right? Some people, they want to see exactly what you're doing all the time, which is fine, but you kind of have to know their cadence. The biggest thing I've seen to have a mentor drop you from what I've been told by people who mentor people is asking for needless advice and not executing on that advice, right? From what I've seen, you only really want to come with a huge problem to a mentor if you already tried a solution and you can't figure out how to get around that or if it's something of their expertise, right? For example, one thing I try and do with the people that I talk to, if I'm not talking to them day in, day out, and if they ask me for like help on a problem, I will update them on exactly what I did, what I tested, how the results were, and obviously what um, like the results so that if they want to keep like adding advice they can but i'm not going to pester them for advice if they've solved the problem but it's really just showing that their advice actually means something it means more than enough for you to take action and implement right away but also keeping them in the loop yeah and and how do you think we can take marketing uh from our own individual business and turn it into a pr campaign that actually delivers results Sure. Yeah. So how we look at marketing and PR in our in our business is from a PR side, there's a couple of different ways. You want to get in front of as much people as possible, as much targeted people as possible. I'm going to go back to Dennis Yu. He's an amazing concept called a dollar a day, where if you're posting something on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, you can boost those posts directly to the audience you want to get in front of to add more touch points, right? The second thing we look at is third-party social proof. Now, that can be a publication. That can be a podcast like this. That can be a brand endorsement or a client testimonial. But you want as much of that as possible. And the third thing we look at is the messaging component. So you do want to do some copywriting for this. You do want to analyze your audience. You do want to interview past clients and things like that to determine this. But really, all you want to know is what are their trigger points? Likely in your client acquisition process or your marketing process, you have said things that take someone to that next step unequivocally. Like it it makes so much pain or makes so much sense to them that they move to that next step. If you can figure out what those pain points are, draft stories around that and put them in third-party publications, people move forward to that next step. And hell, if you can get them in front of your ideal audience, there's no reason for them to not take action. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Carson, my final question for you has to do with legacy, my friend, and how you want your uh, personal and professional legacy to be defined. Mm. I'm not a big believer in being remembered at the end of the day, because to be remembered, you have to do something that exponential. A hundred years later, who remembers people from a hundred years later? John D. Rockefeller. One of the richest humans of all time, Andrew Carnegie. 
they're not really remembered. They're not exactly on the forefront of people's minds today and age, right? I believe it's really hard to be remembered. So I would just say the legacy that I want to leave is I want to make sure that I gave it everything I had in all aspects of my life. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about, uh, you know, I'm going to quote Robert Salah, head coach of the New York Jets. He says, all gas and no break, my friend. You know, life is about uh, giving it all you have and sort of leaving it at the end of a finish line and letting other people judge it, isn't it? Exactly. Absolutely. And finally, my friend, tell me, if people want to get connected with you, what's the best way they can do that? LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Carson Spitsky. Like, my business name is Spitz Solutions. If you're looking for, like, done-for-you press, obviously that's an easy place to go. But, yeah, outside of that, I'm not too active on socials because I'd rather be a hermit and work at the end of the day. But, yeah, no, outside of that, thanks for having me, Kevin. Well, absolutely, my friend. And, you know, uh, taking a break from social media isn't necessarily a bad thing all the time, right? Exactly. Absolutely, my friend. And I, I want to thank you for your uh, uh, work in the space of public relations and marketing. You're doing uh, great work in the space, my friend. And I want to congratulate you on all the success you've had at your young age. And I want to tell you to continue uh, to move the needle of uh, progress forward. And I want to thank you for joining me today. It's most appreciated, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin.